Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about e-cigarettes and vaping. And Caroline, we are really getting in early on this whole vaping thing. Cool. Because unlike most Stuff Mom Never Told You episodes... It's still so much in the early phases of popularity that we don't even have hard numbers as to how many lady vapors, lady e-cigarette users are out there. Yeah, I know. Well, but we know they're out there because they are very vocal online in forums and listservs and commenting under negative vaping press. Yeah, and I and I know some ladies who vape. Mm-hmm. I know some fellas who vape. I know some ladies who vape. But while I feel like most people have probably heard of e-cigarettes, not as many people might be familiar with vaping. Um, so what are we talking about? Yeah, so vaping, uh, it's part of the lingo, Kristen. Ah, some lingo, okay. Some lingo, some slang. Cool, neat. Yeah, let's refer to Urban Dictionary. Uh, well, it's, it's basically just a, a term for smoking or puffing on, not really smoking, an electronic cigarette. And it works by heating up uh, a combination of a little bit of water, some flavoring, uh, some, some nicotine, usually, and the main ingredient, which is propylene glycol and or glycerin. Yeah, and all of this is called e-juice. You vape it on some e-juice. Oh, sounds so gross to my brain. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound very good. Although, vaping on e-juice does not sound, I'll be honest, it doesn't sound appetizing. But it could, okay, vaping on e-juice, just, I just, sipping on gin and juice, I think that now needs to be redone as well, and vaping on e-juice. And I bet there is a gin and juice flavored e-juice but that's that caroline that's another podcast for a whole different time um but the way that the science of this vaping is that this e-juice is heated to around 400 degrees fahrenheit sorry celsius users (laughs) um and a heating element in the electronic cigarette in the in the implement aerosolizes that solution and then you inhale it and unlike smoking an actual cigarette um it's not necessarily as harsh it's obviously um considered healthier because it's more vapor i mean it's water vapor as opposed to uh carcinogen enriched smoke well it's kind of water vapor i mean it's not really water vapor there's right. some water in it but there's also it's mainly that glycerin or glycol Combo. There's a lot of preservatives in there, and you know, obviously, if you're infusing it with nicotine, you uh, people do vape with just flavored e-juice, no, no nicotine. But you know, you're you're still inhaling preservatives, metals, and nicotine. Yeah, and we're gonna get into that question of whether it is actually healthier, because I know of people who use them as a way to quit smoking or to cut back on smoking. Um, I know people who do it just because they enjoy the flavor and people who do it specifically as a healthier alternative to cigarettes. But the fascinating thing about e-cigarettes and vaping is that it has not been around long at all. They were actually first developed by a Chinese pharmacist, Han Lick, um, in 2003 um, under Dragonite cigarettes. And he created it as an alternative to yield smokes 
And in 2007, e-cigarettes entered the U.S. market. So we're, it's still early enough that the FDA is only now getting around to, should we regulate this stuff? How should we regulate this stuff? As of the time we're recording this podcast, for instance, there is no age restriction on purchasing e-cigarettes. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely on the rise because sales in the U.S. surpassed $1 billion in 2013, which was double 2012 sales. So it doubled in just a year. And uh, Bloomberg Industries expects that this particular industry will lap tobacco cigarette sales by 2047. So cigarette manufacturers are definitely keeping an eye on it. Yeah, and they're getting in on the e-cigarette game as well. And when it comes to demographics, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, It's still so early. We don't have a lot of hard numbers on men versus women, because, in fact, a lot of the research, the demographic focused research right now is really paying closest attention to the youth market, largely because more of them are trying it. More of the kids these days, it's kids with a Z, are vaping. And it's again, it's not age restricted. And so. The Centers for Disease Control estimates that 1.7 million students in grades 6 through 12, that's 10% of them in the U.S., had tried vaping in 2012, up from 4.7% of students in just 2011. And I'm sure since then, the numbers have gone up even farther. Yeah, and of course there's concerns around it because of the whole gateway issue, whether kids will pick up cigarettes after they try vaping. And it kind of goes back to the whole cigarette advertising issue, which we'll talk about more as far as like Joe Camel and how you can't, they can't advertise using Joe Camel anymore because cartoon characters, imagine that, appeal to children. Yeah, well, and and there's a whole health issue too. I mean, Mm -hmm. younger kids have still developing tender, precious lungs. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Caroline, it's not just water vapor that they are inhaling. So a lot of public health um, researchers are really looking closely at this issue. Well, so why why is it on the rise like so rapidly? What is up with the rapid increase in the number of vapors? Well, there are all sorts of reasons. Um, I think that it goes back to, for instance, why Hanlick developed the first one in 2003 to begin with as an alternative to cigarettes. There are lots of smoking bans being enacted um, all over the country, all over the world, because we are realizing, oh, hey, cigarettes are in no way, shape or form good for you, nor is secondhand smoke. So people aren't allowed to s- smoke cigarettes in places that they were. However, you can get around if you still want to puff on something, you can vape. And you can vape in all sorts of tantalizing flavors, Caroline. You could also buy bubblegum cigars. That's just my helpful. Um, is, is that what you puff on, Caroline? <laughs> yeah, I carry around a, a blue bubblegum cigar at all times. Yeah, she's cool among the kids. I really am. No, I really, I really am. But, uh, yeah, so, as far as the helping people quit smoking thing, I mean, that seems like definitely a great benefit, but does it actually help people? Studies have found that e-cigarettes are as effective as other smoking cessation aids. I do know that wasn't there an issue, though, with like the FDA and calling them smoking cessation aids? Like, weren't you supposed to call them something else because they haven't quite been FDA fully in FDA vetted yet? That sounds correct. 
Yeah, but so there was a 2014 study that shows you how like recent all of the research into e-cigarettes is. But there was a 2014 study in addiction that found that e-cigarette users were 60 percent more likely to quit smoking cigarettes than smokers who were going cold turkey or trying uh, patches and gum. Which makes total sense. I don't have the statistics in front of me on the success rate of going cold turkey. Um, but it is to, to meet a person who goes cold turkey and quits for forever on the first try. That person has Herculean willpower. It just rarely happens. Yeah. And it's not only the addiction to nicotine and tobacco, but it's even just the feel of holding something in your hand, the way that uh, you use them in social situations. Like there, there's a lot more to quitting smoking than just being like, oh, I don't I don't like the taste anymore. And so e-cigarettes have been, you know, very much touted as a bridge between um smoking and being smoke free. Yeah, and and it's not just an issue of helping people kick the habit of smoking cigarettes. It's also as we mentioned earlier, uh, a huge question in terms of public health when it comes to whether kids are using them to start smoking. Yeah, that's and and a lot of researchers are like the problem with this <laughs> the the fact that this is unregulated right now is that only time will tell whether kids will transition from vaping to smoking tobacco cigarettes. And we don't really want that to happen at all because the jury is still out on the health factor. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, as Krista mentioned, e-cigarettes are a healthier alternative. If you're going to smoke cigarettes or you're going to vape, obviously vaping is the lesser of two evils because you're not actively burning tobacco leaves, and inhaling a whole bunch of nicotine and a whole bunch of cancer-causing agents. And exhaling as harmful secondhand smoke. Right. You know, although, you know, people who vape flavored e-juice do beware. You know, not everybody likes the smell of uh, artificial blueberries or, <laughs> or, or, other, or cotton candy. I mean, literally, like, so many adventurous flavors, which to some people, probably standing around people who are vaping, that might actually be, uh, the, the scent might actually be uh, the, the biggest side effect of that. Um, but according to tobacco epidemiologist John Spangler, who is also a professor at Wake Forest School of Medicine, he says they are certainly a better alternative to smoking tobacco, which is the leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. And he was uh, talking to Cosmopolitan magazine, and I cite that source because this is an issue that women are talking about as well. Yeah, and so in terms of health effects, though, because there are some, a 2014 nicotine and tobacco research study found that when that e-juice cocktail is heated to those super high temperatures, especially with e-cigarettes that come in these new variable voltage models, it can release potentially toxic carbonyls, including formaldehyde, acetylahyde, acetone, so like the stuff that you use to take your nail polish off, and butanol, although, of course, at lower levels than comes out of cigarettes. And in 2013, UC Riverside cell biologist Prue Talbot, whose name I absolutely love. Prue. Prue. Ta- oh, Prue. Prue Talbot. That sounds so wonderfully Puritan. Uh, found a high concentration of heavy metals and silicates in the e-cigarette vapor as well. And it actually came 
from the heating element of the e-cigarettes. So, yes, there are there chemicals and preservatives and stuff in the vapor. Yes, but there's also issues of that super high heat and that liquid cocktail that's going on in the e-cigarette heating up and releasing its own metallic elements. Well, and even determining what someone inhales every time uh, they they puff on their vape, which I feel like I'm using incorrect terminology, um, but every time they inhale, it is it's also hard to determine how much of the substances are really going into their lungs because it's going to depend on the concentration of chemicals in the e-juice. It's going to depend on the voltage, how hard you inhale. Um, so, for instance, as for nicotine, the amount of nicotine that you might get into your system, the, the, the amount listed, for instance, even on packages might not always be accurate. And you just don't know how much nicotine is being inhaled with each pull. So yeah. all of this to say that it's 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 kind of interesting to see how researchers are only just now in the past couple of years grappling with how to even start figuring out what the actual health effects are, what these things really can and are doing to our bodies. Because, again, they haven't been around long enough for long-term studies to assess both their first and second-hand health effects, which, again, goes back to why a a lot of people are concerned about the kids. Yeah, and especially since there is that whole, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, too, there is that whole sort of DIY culture around e-cigarettes, too. There's a lot of people who make their own. Even legit manufacturers out there all have different designs that affect the vapor and the chemical load you inhale. And your individual vaping habits can affect how much nicotine or other chemicals that you potentially inhale. And so there's a lot of variables out there that we're just not sure about yet. Yeah. And at this point, I have a feeling some listeners are wondering why we're randomly doing a podcast about e-cigarettes. What does that have to do with women? We don't even have a precise statistic of how many women are vaping? Well, that's because we really wanted to, after offering an introduction of what e-cigarettes are, because their popularity is growing exponentially. They are, you know, they're so big at this point that big tobacco is really paying attention to them and even getting in on uh, these kinds of products as well. And with that, the vaping industry is targeting women. And this is such a fascinating case study in how companies are, are still using very old techniques to engage women into uh, starting up new habits such as vaping. And this goes all the way back to right after World War I um, when the American Tobacco Company decided, you know what? We need to get ladies smoking some cigarettes. How can we do that? We need to get all these uh, these flapper gals uh, smoking more of these cigarettes, see? Right. What do they do, Caroline? So they hired a Mr. Edward Bernays, who's considered the founder of PR, or as it was called at the time, engineering consent, uh, to get women to smoke because you want to make money. That's your primary objective, right? And so you need more customers. Yeah, and smoking was not considered the most ladylike thing, especially right. for a woman in public. Perhaps if she was 
at home alone in the drawing room or something she could smoke, but certainly yeah. not in it was public. Definitely considered inappropriate and unladylike and kind of trashy. But there were pockets of women in New York City who were flouting social rules. They were considered this thing you call a feminist. Um, and they were just not only were they flouting like social norms and gender norms, but they were also picking up cigarettes. They were starting to smoke because that was considered such a male habit to have. And they were like, well, screw you. We're equal in all ways. We might as well smoke, too. And Bernays capitalized on this. Oh, Bernays was brilliant. He marketed cigarettes as torches of freedom for women. And in 1929, he famously staged this torches of freedom smoking demonstration during the New York City Easter Day parade. And it was this whole thing of ladies, listen, you now have the right to vote. You're becoming your own women. And if you really want to be equal to men, well, then you should light up a smoke and photos from this parade are so fascinating because these women are just they're essentially protesting and smoking. And that's the way that they are demonstrating their equality. And you have like the male allies too smoking alongside with them. Like, yeah, see, I'm cool. See, all right. Yeah. And I just, I just have to roll my eyes because, and I mean, we're going to obviously draw parallels between this original cigarette marketing in terms of drawing in women and the vaping marketing that's going on too. But I mean, this is just yet another instance of capitalizing on social movements and sort of co-opting an entire movement of women into using it for your own advertising and money-making purposes. So just general disclaimer, people, I, I just like to hammer home how aware you should be of any marketing or advertising you're looking at, because a lot of people love to capitalize on hot topics of the day. And certainly women's rights and feminism were a hot topic in that time. And we see that very much, too, still today in what should be a podcast for another time with modern marketing mm-hmm. and feminism and sort of capitalizing on all of the conversations happening around that today. Um, but in addition, though, to this whole equality angle, Big Tobacco did uh, focus their advertisements to women and portrayals of women in their advertisements. Um, they, they did tie in female insecurities as well, because, of course, you have to play on that to continue selling your goods. And so as we um, talked about some in our podcast on women and chocolate and the fascinating marketing that went around that was uh, Lucky Strikes reach for a lucky instead of a sweet, mm-hmm. which the chocolate industry was uh, really frustrated with because yeah. they were like, OK, well, ladies are always concerned about their figure. So have a smoke if you're hungry. Have a cigarette instead. You won't you won't gain a thing, Caroline. Yeah, and of course this is in the context of the whole Gibson girl hourglass curvy silhouette going out of fashion and the slim slender flapper silhouette being very much in vogue. Yeah, and you also see with Marlboro, it's advertisements that its tobacco was quote mild as may. So that ties in a more feminizing element to the actual product itself of, oh, don't worry if it's if cigarettes seem like they'll be harsh. 
ours are mild as May. <laughs> Prue, oh Prue, don't worry, it's mild as May. Right, and of course, Chesterfield cigarettes featured uh, an illustration of a woman kind of just hanging out with a cigarette. And it's this whole, the copy on the ad is so funny to me and so fascinating because she's basically having a conversation with herself about like, should I smoke? Well, I mean, I, th- I guess it's okay. I think I'll, I'll give it a shot. It, it's not that bad. And she tells herself, after all, women started to smoke just about the time they began to vote. And what a convenient correlation. Um, and then Philip Morris took it even further and just said, hey, believe in yourselves. Ladies, believe in yourselves. <laughs> Light up. I don't. I don't know what that has to do with cigarettes, but it. You know, believe in yourself. So inspirational. Yeah. Well, and of course, I mean, this doesn't even get us up to. This is decades before uh, Virginia Slim's famous, um, very like uh, harping on second wave feminism of "You've come a long way, baby." You know, being like ladies. I mean, it's always been kind of the torches of freedom sort of thing. And uh, just just to drive home though, how intensive this. PR campaign was to really teach women how to smoke and also to, hey, believe in yourself. Um, there was a feature in Life magazine um, showing this uh, this woman, this younger woman who was giving a demonstration to a group of older women on the proper way to smoke in public. And I just have to read this caption. Um, Men's pet peeves against women smokers are messy ways of opening packages, affected mannerisms, Puffing like a steam engine and lipstick smears. Oh, heavens. Oh, goodness. And of course, women's uh, pet peeves about male smokers were using dishes and dousing butts under the faucet and then dropping them in the sink. So, of course, women were being criticized for being messy and not feminine and men were being criticized for just making a mess, basically. Well, also, men had the lipstick smears on theirs. Well, that's another thing to talk about entirely. (laughs) Um, and all of this, though, we just wanted to offer this primer to keep in mind as we talk about what the growing vaping industry is doing in terms of marketing to women because they're pulling the same tricks out. Mm-hmm. So we offered this refresher course to keep in mind as we talk about how the vaping market today is really targeting women in very similar kinds of ways. And we'll talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. Okay, so right before we left off, we were talking about the incredible efforts that the cigarette manufacturers and their PR people went to to market cigarettes to women because, of course, it was considered very unladylike to smoke at the time until we got our whole framing of cigarettes as torches of freedom. Yeah, they engineered our consent. (laughs) That's right. And who wouldn't want a torch of freedom? But so when we look to vape marketing today, it's really not that different. And Well, I should preface this by saying it's great to have more options and it's great to have alternatives to smoking a cigarette. It is always important to keep marketing in mind and look at these things with a critical eye. And Kristen and I looked at this resource from Stanford that basically showed and compiled a whole slew of vaping ads, marketing, marketing these products on the Internet and in other various places And one of the themes that I thought was so interesting was the whole issue of 
freedom that was repeated over and over and over again in these ads. And some, I think, are even called things along the lines of like freedom or liberty. freedom sticks. Freedom. Yeah. OK, so we've got our torches of freedom. Now we have like electronic freedom sticks, basically. But yeah, it's that whole idea that like you're you're taking a social desire which is to not be oppressed by smoking bans anymore and to to be a free American and, and a free woman and a free woman. And you're using it to market your product. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see how that that idea of freedom specifically, you know, targeted to women has evolved. Um, and on top of the whole freedom from smoking bans angle, you also have health money savings because you're not buying pack after pack uh, the the flavors which we'll get into get so hyper feminine it's mind-boggling um there's uh the, the celebrity endorsement i've seen for instance one ad with jenny mccarthy um so uh, another critical i don't always do as celebrities do um, there's also the the tech appeal, but you don't see the tech appeal in terms of, oh, this is electronic. This is like a, a cool gadget. You don't see that being marketed to women so much because, of course, why would women be interested in gadgets? <laughs> Am I right, ladies? And Stanford points out that women are featured prominently in pretty much all e-cigarette advertising to appeal both to women and men alike. So if it's meant to appeal to men, obviously you have sexy babes. Being like, hey, you could have me if only you were smoking a cool e-cigarette. And for ladies, it's more like, hey, don't you want to look like me? I'm smoking an e-cigarette. I'm free. But of course, there are so many more marketing tactics that we haven't talked to, namely the whole pink washing of vaping and e-cigarettes in particular. So much like... As Krista mentioned, Virginia Slims and their whole lengthening and slimming of the cigarette itself and their tagline, you've come a long way, baby. Now we see sexy looking, thin, pink, pastel e-cigarettes that are geared specifically to women. And that's not to say that women shouldn't have the option of having pink things. I mean, who cares? That's great. You like pink. That's wonderful. However, it is using feminization specifically to sell a product. Yeah, and and if you even just look at the brand names of these e-cigarettes that are being marketed to women, it is all, I mean, it's very pink, but it also uses lots of words such as couture, goddess, vamp, vogue, lady, and vapor girl. And then, of course, there's the terribly named Nutrisig, which this should, it, nothing should ever be named that, ever, never. Ever, because it, it's made worse by the fact that their tagline is eat less and satisfy your craving. So it's it's a 21st century version of Lucky Strike. Yeah. Reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. And their ads just show a, a lot of times show a woman in a bikini lounging on the beach, but probably hasn't eaten in days because she's just puffing on her Nutrisig. And so it's to say, hey, don't you want to look like her? No, I mean, you should never market like non-food Things And I'm, this is not even a comment on nicotine. This is not a comment on cigarettes or whatever. But you should not market non-food items or food replacement things as Nutra anything. Yeah. But I'll get off my soapbox and pack that away now. No, it's, I mean, it's an important soapbox because it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely... It's definitely not an altruistic motive. Right. We'll put it that way. Um, there's also Vape Goddess. And Vape Goddess comes in all sorts of flavors, such as Fierce, which is tangerine menthol. 
ambrosia, which is raspberry citrus cream, guilty pleasure, ladies, who could resist? It's cookies and milk. And then lotus, which is honeysuckle green tea. And I feel like my guilty pleasure flavor would taste like a grilled cheese with bacon. Yeah, my guilty <laughs> my guilty pleasure would be pizza rolls. Um has anyone vaped a pizza roll eat juice? I bet that exists. We have so many questions. We do have a lot of questions. But on top of this, some companies are even offering fashion accessories to go along with your e-cigarettes, including handbags, lanyards, and even sneakers. And this reminds me of, uh, there's this car, and I'm forgetting the model name right now, that was made in the 50s specifically for women, and it was pink, naturally. The second model came in lavender, and... It came with handbags, gloves, and a lipstick case. All of these, all of these little accessories. Well, it's all a woman could ever want in life. <laughs> yeah, your e-cig sneakers. Um, but what's also fascinating too are how some of these companies are also engaging in very lady-centric corporate responsibility in quotes initiatives, such as South Beach Smoke, as well as Ever Smoke donating funds for breast cancer awareness. Yeah, it's very easy when you're selling a pink product to tie it in with the whole breast cancer awareness month and advertising for breast cancer awareness donations, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. Again, we're just talking about, you know, advertising awareness. Yeah, and that does tie in, too, to this pink washing conversation. Um but my favorite brand of all, though, Caroline, was Katian, which brands itself as the most feminine electronic cigarette in the world. That is a direct quote, ladies and gentlemen. And it has an artistic rendition of a fashion model on each device. And we went to the website because I had to just see what this looked like. And it and there was a section where you could sign up for a newsletter. And I think they even called it a lady newsletter. That's the extent of their um, their their lady intense marketing. So, I mean, it's it's for us. If you were ever I've ever thought that maybe e-cigarettes were not for women. Well, you were wrong. I feel like this is exactly like the whole Bic pen, the pen for her controversy yeah. where they got the the hysterical Amazon reviews like, oh, thank God I can finally write because I have a pen that's just for me, just for me. Uh, but it was interesting, too, though, that. Enjoy, that's N-J-O-Y, Enjoy King's e-cigarettes were an official sponsor of the 2013 New York Fashion Week. So this is another way clearly targeting a female audience. And this was reported on in Cosmopolitan. And they quoted a rep saying they're targeting adult committed smokers. And since a lot of models, hairstylists and others backstage and fashion people alike smoke, we wanted to bring them a less abrasive option. And... I know that Mercedes is often a Fashion Week sponsor. I could not imagine, though, someone like Marlboro, Fashion Week brought to you by Marlboro, ever happening. But because I think of this perception of it being that healthier option, enjoy kind of slips in that way. So, And then if we turn to Maria Verven, who is the founder of Vaping Vamp, uh, she was writing in Vape Magazine about how women, like herself, uh, and a lot of other women out there, she asserts, feel out of place in smoke shops, you know, that have environments like a head shop with, you know, bearded guys with dreadlocks, you know, looking at you weird because you're a lady who walked in the door. 
Yeah, and listen, Caroline and I hold nothing against beards or dreadlocks yeah, at no. all. This was more like in her description. And I will say, like, there have been a number of vaping shops that have popped up around Atlanta, maybe just in my neighborhood. Maybe I'm in a hot spot for, for vaping. Um, and they do often look very much like head shops. I have not been into one personally, um, but I could understand when I was reading this post by her, it, it made sense of like, oh yeah, okay, well that, that would, that does seem like, um, the, the kind of atmosphere you would encounter. Um, and she says, quote, e-cigarettes are perfect for women's social smokers who want to look chic, elegant, and trendy, which is kind of ironic because she started this to help her daughter quit smoking. Um, so, you know, I guess it's, again, lesser of two evils. Um, and when Jezebel reported on this, of course, they also had a very skeptical eyebrow raise to the whole pinkwashing factor. But they did say, you know, the sentiment behind vaping vamps is admirable. It's the first independent e-cigarette company targeted specifically to women. And it's run by a woman and it donates parts of its proceeds to Dress for Success, a nonprofit organization that helps financially struggling women acquire professional attire for job interviews. So, yay, lady entrepreneurs. We totally support that. But like you said, Caroline, I think it's always wise to take a closer look at that kind of marketing. And um, the Jezebel piece was not surprisingly too very snarky as well. And there were a lot of comments on that post from women who vape and enjoy vaping who are like, we hate this, these kinds of products, these hyper pink products, because that's not what we use at all. And especially if you, if you're a, a true blue vaping connoisseur, you would never use one of those e-cigarettes that looks like cigarettes. It's more about hacking these, uh, hacking these gadgets in order to, you know, amplify the voltage the way that you want it to, um, get the kinds of flavors that you want. All of that stuff. So there is this whole subculture developing around it, too. Well, right. That's exactly what so many of those commenters also pointed out, is that there is this whole vaping community. And a lot of skeptical people, fellow commenters, were like, vaping community? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. But, I mean, you know, if there's something that exists in the world, there is an online community for it. And so a lot of people end up trading secrets, tips, tricks, ways to sort of uh, build your own, construct your own vaping e-cigarette device, ways to make your own juice, how to buy it, where to buy it, um, trading information about health information, uh, safety tips, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and there are apparently, or at least anecdotally, there are lots of women in on it. Although I will say that the, the, the biggest trend pieces that I saw in Mashable, The Verge, and also a, a really in-depth piece on Yahoo News as well, Focus mostly on guys who are doing these hacks and, and mods, but um, I know that there are women doing this as well. So, I mean, that is kind of, it, it gets into the DIY culture, it gets into the whole maker culture as well. I feel like that, those Venn diagrams definitely intersect. And so it would make sense that if you are more about like doing this because it's a, you know, you're homebrewing and you're hacking and you're really making this thing and you're probably building friendships around it too. I'm sure this kind of 
hyper feminine pink washed marketing would make you want to pull your hair out as well. Yeah. And of course, at the same time, there are plenty of, of people out there who welcome the opportunity to purchase a pink e-cigarette. You know, uh, I, there was some comment somewhere where a woman was like, I have a pink laptop and I wear pink all the time. And so the fact that now I can purchase a pink e-cigarette, it's just perfect for me. And so, yeah, there's something out there for everybody. Yeah. I mean, like note about avoiding femphobia as well. Pink is not the enemy. It's more harping on these age old things of like the, the Nutrisig. I feel like that really embodies the whole thing of trying to sell women more of this idea and this image right. um, that is ultimately harmful for us rather than harping on a color. But before we close out, we do need to make one mention about its health effects with women because one of the most commonly asked questions of the Internet when it comes to e-cigarettes is whether it's safe for pregnant women because um, I, I'm sure that's, I mean, just a general question people have. But if you are a smoker and you get pregnant and, you know, obviously, you know, you're not supposed to smoke. I mean, it is a natural question to ask, like, well, these things are supposed to be healthier. Could I vape instead? Yeah. And I mean, there was a study this year, 2014, that looked into the perceptions about the safety of vaping. And a lot of people assumed in the survey that vaping was definitely safer than smoking cigarettes and therefore it was okay to vape during pregnancy. And so while, yes, we've established that vaping is probably a healthier alternative to smoking a cigarette, the fact is it can, uh, an e-cigarette can contain nicotine. And so if you are of the opinion or the thought that a vaping is safer than smoking, then maybe you're more likely to do it while pregnant, introducing nicotine to the fetus. Whereas if you know cigarette smoking during pregnancy is bad, you wouldn't be introducing nicotine to the fetus. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately the study didn't dig specifically into the actual safety of it during pregnancy, but the authors explicitly stated that introducing nicotine into your system can be harmful Mm -hmm. for fetuses, even at very low levels. But as the FDA starts to figure out how it's going to regulate this industry that's right now somewhat grassroots, although big names are definitely getting in the mix, um, I will be curious to see whether you'll have similar kinds of Surgeon General warnings on e-juice packages. Yeah, and then issues of taxation and stuff like that will follow, I'm sure. Yeah, and age restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, So with this, Lady Vapors, are you out there? Hello? I'm sure they're out there, and I'm sure that they have a lot to tell us about the community aspect of it, the DIY aspect of it, and... Do you feel like it is a sort of broy culture that you have to break into almost, or do you feel like it's totally egalitarian and welcoming? Yeah, and why? If you, if you do smoke any cigarette, why do you do it? I mean, because obviously there's so many possible reasons. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, we've got a couple of letters to read here about our episode on vegetarianism. And this one comes from Nicole. And she writes, 
As a vegetarian and math teacher, I especially enjoyed learning about Pythagoras and may start saying I'm following a Pythagorean diet. I'm a vegetarian for ethical and health reasons. I know I could never kill an animal, and I don't feel comfortable outsourcing that task. I also don't approve of how livestock is treated and how many of our world's resources go into meat production instead of meeting basic food needs globally. Additionally, I find it to be healthier and a cheaper way to live. I've not really gotten much flack about it, even when I started back in 2001. I'm mainly met with an incredulous, what do you eat? I find this amusing as I just eat regular foods like most people. Spaghetti, pizza, eggs, salads, casseroles, sandwiches, soups. Caroline, I'm hungry now. (laughs) Funny story, though. I was making dinner for my friend's family and decided to make stroganoff with tofu instead of beef. Their son in his late 20s at the time was asleep while I cooked and we ate. As he was enjoying his serving, he looked over at me and said, this is really good. What did you put in yours? He had no idea he was eating a vegetarian version. Clearly, flavor trumps the actual ingredient. Thank you for a wonderful episode. I learned tons and I'm glad to know I'm part of an age-old tradition. So thanks, Nicole. And Nicole, you must be an impressive vegetarian chef for making that stroganoff. Okay, I have a letter here from Brittany that is addressed to C-squared. Hello. Oh, I like that. I like that, too. Okay. So she says, I've been listening to Sminty for over a year now after my best friend turned me on to it. Your podcast has been one of the ways we stay in touch despite living thousands of miles away. There's been so many great episodes recently that I've wanted to commend you on, but the vegetarian gender episode finally prompted me to write. All right, Brittany says... Having been a loyal vegetarian for nearly 20 years, I wasn't expecting to learn a whole lot of new information from the episode. I've done a fair amount of research on my own and try to stay current on dietary trends and whatnot. However, the link you discussed between vegetarianism and disordered eating was not something I had any prior knowledge about. I found this to be particularly intriguing as I adopted my vegetarianism at a young age when I was hospitalized for anorexia. After months of severe restriction, I began to eat again, but opted to cut out all meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. While my eating disorder has gone through periods of remission over the last 20 years, I have not wavered on my vegetarian diet. At no point during my various hospitalizations, medical appointments, or nutritional counseling did anyone propose a connection between my eating disorder and my vegetarian lifestyle. Not once. Most recently, I entered what is considered one of the top eating disorder treatment programs in the nation. While it seemed unusual to me that a solid 75% of the women in the program were also vegetarian, I did not place much importance on the matter. Perhaps living in a more vegetarian-friendly state and having close friends and family who were also vegetarian made me a little naive, but I'm still shocked there was no mention made of the link between vegetarianism and eating disorders. While I suspect that I may have become a vegetarian eventually for ethical, environmental, and health reasons, in hindsight, my decision to make that transition upon entering treatment at a young age was likely driven by the desire to control what was going into my body. Duh. I'm confident I will maintain my vegetarian diet for the remainder of my life, but I'm hopeful that my disordered eating will not be a constant force in my daily life. Thank you for furthering my knowledge and understanding about the relationship between the two. Well done, ladies. Well done. And thank you, Brittany. And thanks to everybody who's written into us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with this one, and with links to that Stanford site where you can see all of those different kinds of lady e-cigarettes, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.